Welcome to the BioCurious Podcast with your host, Kayla Osterhoff. As a health scientist, biohacker, and generally curious person, I'm always looking for new ways to optimize and integrate mind, body, and spiritual health. I created this podcast to explore the magic and science of human biology and expand your consciousness through learning. If you enjoy the episode that you're about to hear, please leave a review and share it with someone who can benefit from the information. Now let's get curious. Welcome back to another episode of the Bio Curious Podcast. This week, Kayla talks with Kristen from Warrior Woman Mode, who is also the host of the Well Power Podcast. They go over women's biohacking and why it's different, the hormone cycle, how you might be working against yourself, stress, exercise, and diet. There's so much to learn, you'll definitely want to listen in to this episode. At the end, they talk about their favorite female biohackers, who are all linked below, so be sure to check them out. Remember to follow our Instagram, and as always, I hope you like this episode and learn something new. Today's episode of the BioCurious podcast and the Well Power podcast is extra special because we are having this discussion for both podcasts. And again, this will be uh, published for both podcast platforms. So, Kristen, welcome to the BioCurious podcast. And Kayla, welcome to Well Power podcast. <laughs> I love this killing two birds with one stone moment. And I'm just so excited to connect with you on a longer term format because we all have these little tiny conversations and it's nice to be able to sit and chat about the stuff we love. Absolutely. I have been looking forward to this conversation probably since we were in California together for the Biohacking Congress a few months ago. Um, And we will be together again next month for the same event. So I'm really excited about that. But last time we were together, we talked about all things women's biohacking. And this is really at the core of both of our work and our passion. And so I just can't wait to dive into this topic today. Never enough, never enough conversation about the female physiology, in my opinion. Oh my gosh, no. (laughs) My totally biased opinion. I couldn't agree with you more. And just to give a little context to our listeners about this topic, um, a reason why I'm very passionate about women's biohacking and women's health science, um, and I know it's something that I share with Kristen, is because of the science gap and the lack of representation in both the scientific and medical communities for women. Um, When you look at the research that was done uh, for drugs, for different therapies, for basically that all medicine is based on, women lack representation and especially women of childbearing potential um, because of our unique female biorhythms and our unique uh, female hormone cycles that really make us um, difficult research subjects. And that is the basis for why women have been 
uh, left out of the research conversation, but um, you know it poses a lot of issues for the recommendations that are out there that are supposed to be inclusive of women, but because women are not represented in the research that those recommendations were developed upon, um, that a lot of those recommendations really are not appropriate for women. So this comes back to the reason why women's biohacking is so important. So women's self-experimentation is really important because women have to take their health into their own hands to be able to make informed and data-driven decisions for their health because the medical and scientific communities really um, have disempowered us uh, to that end. Yeah, here, here to that. Yeah. So, Kristen, before we dive in, I would love to hear a little bit about your background and how you got to work in the field of women's health. Sure. Uh, we can do an origin story swap out. Yes. I um, I my my story's a little bit windy in the sense that I started a career. I was always into. I grew up a dancer. I was always into sort of fitness and wellness and from the perspective or the context of a dancer, uh, a lot of that came with when my younger years, you know, there it's, it's much changed as of late in many ways, still on its still a little bit on its, the legs of, you know, body image and things like that. But when I was a dancer, I started when I was five years old and there were a lot, a lot of food disorder and body dysmorphia and things like that. in that, in that place. And I think uh, what I was most curious in that, as I was growing was like, how do I fuel my body well and feel full and have nutrition, but also stay fit and then try to deal with this. I was never really, I developed pretty early. I got very chesty, very shapely, which as we saw 20 years ago, it was not really welcome in the, in the ballet community back then. And now, now it's so different, but that, that sparked this like misunderstanding if you will in me that was like how do I manage food but feel good but not be like one of these chicks who's starving themselves out that I see in my dance world but still be accepted and um, that sparked a lot of questions in a young woman as you can imagine and as I sort of grew through the years and through high school and through different dance programs and things like that I felt really strongly about that exploration and so I was like doing lots of green juicing when I was like 17 18 years old I was like the weird girl with the juicer trying all these different food combining diets and all this stuff so I was like really self-experimenting around food and my physique from a very young age then I um, took a really sharp turn into uh, spirits beer cocktails and Red Bull I launched Red Bull energy drink as I like went through and finished college and started to become this marketing person. I had a, a, a unique or I fell into it pretty easily and it seems I have the talent to understand sort of brand marketing. And so I learned a lot about myself and managing my time and this N equals one experiment through this brand marketing world that I lived in running big brands for the United States. Believe it or not, back then, Red Bull energy drink felt like it was, wow, world's first functional beverage. I know that we have a little bit of a different viewpoint on it now. <laughs> but um, but that course of action and working at a really heavy number of an hours for an energy beverage, trying to understand the ingredient profile and how it was or was not serving people, and then morphing into sort of this big liquor industry career, I really was faced pretty quickly with 
a lot of men in my industry working a lot of hours with an expectation that I would be like doing the same and out drinking all the time. And so that, you know, that was this interesting juxtaposition of having to learn how to communicate in a man's world as a female marketer running big business. And then also, you know, getting a little bit of a, I always say like I was made fun of, but even with the women in the industry, it was like I would finish my big day at work. People would go to happy hour or events. And while I did that a lot, what I mostly did was say high five and leave the office and go to dance cardio and fitness and all of this other stuff. And so sort of a running joke in the office when I was around or a running joke in the field when I would like go to markets and people would stay out super late and I'd go, they'd be like, what class are you going to tomorrow? That trajectory of trying to juggle those two things led me to do the, the most important thing in my life, which was leave the corporate world, even though there were many facets that I loved and many great bosses and a lot of things I learned. I, I knew that there was a point in time I was going to have to leave the corporate world and really branch out and do my own thing. And my friends and family were asking me for years before I left, like, when are you going to go do the thing that you really love? So after all those years of having it as my passion, I finally got a chance to leave and become this, um, what started as a fitness studio owner and then, you know, just biohacking over the course of the last 10 plus years gave me sort of the chops, the understanding, the certifications I went and got as a nutrition specialist, as a yoga teacher, as a fitness coach, all of that led me to finally where I am now, which is coaching women predominantly one-on-one and trying to get them to lean hard into their optimal health and well-being. And the one other thing I will say that I loved about your opening, but I also think exists is like, there are so many gaps in the research with women, but what I find a lot with working with women is that there are also gaps in our mindset that come from myriad years of socialization and what we see on television and the people we've worked with and been surrounded by that I think we, you and I both need to continue to champion the female experience on this planet when it comes to health and well-being, but heavily around that mindset piece because we don't do ourselves a very good service most often like the people I'm working with quite often it's like how do we make the prodigal shift and having a different mindset and talking to ourselves in the mirror in a way that is wildly empowering versus what we're what we're doing again I'm generalizing but what we're typically doing now oh my god I could not agree with you more and um, I think that the the lack of the scientific understanding and the lack of acknowledgement that women are very different than men biochemically neurochemically and you know this this affects the mindset of a woman and um, even societally and culturally the way that women make decisions is much different than a man so for instance when a woman makes a decision she because this is hardwired into her, passed on through generations, passed on through cultural programming, she doesn't make a decision for herself alone. She always makes a decision for the broader community, whatever that may be. That may be her family or her colleagues or whoever that is. So that's wired into our subconscious programming as women. It's not something that we necessarily even have control over. So because we are so different, we should not be behaving the same. And so I love your example of how 
the men in this industry, um, in the, the, um, you know, beer and liquor and wine and, and, um, energy drink industry, they really expected you to behave as them. And this has really been the expectation by society at large because of the lack of understanding and acknowledgement of the differences between men and women. So I think if we start to really emphasize those differences, not in a way that is one's better than the other, but in a way that we are different and should be behaving differently and supporting our bodies differently, this will really be the game changer. Um, and I can say that my background, uh, my origin story mm -hmm. is also driven by this same narrative. So I was always driven by hard work and success and held to the same standards as the men in my same field of work, which in, in the STEM field, in the sciences, it's mostly men. Um, and so being surrounded by men and held to the same um, expectation uh, really kind of put me on this trajectory of burning myself out. Um, so, you know, I'm, I've, I'm trained in the, in the traditional health sciences and took the traditional route of going through um, a bachelor's program, a master's program, and now I'm in my um, PhD process in neuropsychophysiology. And a lot of what drove my success was this um, behavior, this very masculine behavior of uh, competition and um, having to work really hard to succeed. And these are really masculine behaviors and they actually increase our testosterone, which is not a great thing for women um, because that really disrupts the other hormones. But my while I'm I'm grateful for it in a certain extent because it's gotten me to where I am. Um, I also realize that it is a dysfunctional way for me to live to support my body because while I had a lot of success, you know, I I have these degrees and these accolades and um, and I was able to work for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention for several years, and I, I'm I'm proud of these accomplish accomplishments. But at the same time, I was really wearing my body down. And at some point, um, about three years ago when I was 30, I, uh, was just not be able to get through the day without taking naps or drinking a ton of coffee or, um, doing things to really boost myself just to function at a normal level throughout the day, which was really alarming to me and different than my experience prior to that. And so when I, I finally decided to go and see a functional medicine doctor and got my hormones tested. And when I did that, that really revealed the true picture of what I had been doing to my body. Whereas I thought, you know, exercising really hard and, um, eating really Per, like as clean as possible and working really hard at work long hours. I thought all of these things were very um, beneficial to my health, but really they were wearing me down and burning out my adrenals. And that led to um, really wiping out all of my female hormones that were essentially flatlined at the point. And so I had the hormones of basically like an 80 year old woman um, at the ripe old age of 30. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it, it really took me, um, a, a, a step back and a change in perspective and to realize I am not a man and I shouldn't behave the same as a man because I am 
essentially biochemically and neurochemically for different people just within the phase of a month. Meaning, even if I have the same routine every day during the month, it's not going to suit me or behoove me. So I started designing my lifestyle around the differences in me and the differences between me and my male colleagues. And that's when I really started to thrive and actually more success has come um, as a result. Yeah, that's so awesome. I think that's the, it's a thing that's so overlooked. It's, it took, I always thought when I first found out about sort of how we can work physiologically with our cycle for things that are just outside of like the general, I got my period and this is what's going on. It, it was mind blowing. And I learned it from like, also, I always have to preface this conversation. Like I always say to people like, I'm not a feminist. I'm not like staunchly I'm so, you know, I love the things that I've gotten from men in the world. There's just like physiological differences and things that I wish I knew sooner. Um, And I think, I don't know why I have that inner conflict about, about having the conversation. It's definitely not anti-man. It's just, I learned from a guy, I learned from a key like nutrition, a guy who helped me certify as a nutrition specialist, all the differences in our physiology. And my response after like going through this one module and having a conversation with him was like, look, I'm not annoyed, but I'm annoyed. Like why I've had OBGYNs, male and female. I've had plenty of doctors I've worked with in my life. And no one has ever really talked to me about the depth and breadth of each phase of the cycle and why and how it's affecting like the food, the uptake that happens in my body, the way I behave, et cetera. Right. There's like these explorations that have come from, you know, women in the world, like Jolene Brighton, right. Who are like talking about that. Uh, and um, just putting it out into the world more generally now. But but why didn't someone tell me this 20 years ago, right? When I first got my period, like, of course, my mother didn't know, no one knew. Like, you know, no one, the studies that have been around since the 80s, so they've been there, but like no one knew to tell you or no one was talking about it. And so that's that's like such an important piece of your story is like really understanding that. And also, you know, I always look to you and learn from you when it comes to the deeper dive on the science, right? I I do, I read a lot of the research. I get heavily involved, but I was in a performing arts high school. So, you know, science was sort of like loose science 101. I never took chemistry and like lots of the learning I've done has been on my own or in certification, the world of certifications. And so I always look to you for a lot of those pieces around cycle research and, you know, women in performance, because I know that you know what's up, right? I know you and I've had this conversation before when I'm like, here's some different people and different studies I've read around the cycle and and what I'm putting into my programs. And you saying, look, A through B, awesome. You should probably get rid of C. I'm not sure if the jury's still out on that or not. (laughs) And that like, that's, that's like an important thing for people to, to know about the work that you're doing too, is that you get to bring this you know, neuropsychophysiology and the background of the CDC, that's just, it's really, it's, it's second to none when it comes to women of a cycling age. So I appreciate that. Mm, thank you so much. And, you know, it, it really is a, a sad state of affairs that women are not taught from a young age that at least at the very basic that they have four phases of their female hormone cycle and how to navigate that. Um, I think if we even just made that small change starting in like elementary level education and those children could teach their parents and then it could become a construct that is 
um, accepted and openly talked about in the homes, um, I think that could make a huge difference, even without bringing the science aspect in. And, and I think the science side is a little difficult just because women lack representation in the science. So it's really hard to build an evidence base for something that has not been researched. And that's where folks like you and I, who are really driving the, um, the idea behind self-experimentation and personal empowerment and really taking responsibility of your own health um, by collecting your own data and making data-driven decisions, that's really, really what's important and what will, um, what will change the cultural context that we, we grow up in and that we have to um, work in as women. So um, just to go back to what you were saying about the, the female um, bioenergetics and biorhythms, um, just to give like a little bit of a foundation to what we're talking about, many women are actually not even familiar that they have four phases of the hormone cycle. And it, I am sad to admit that even through my master's program in the health sciences, I was not aware of this. Like, how is that possible? <laughs> right? Um, yeah. It's crazy. But if it's really, really important to understand what's going on in the four phases of your hormone cycle is in terms of what's changing biochemically and neurochemically, because this really should be driving your lifestyle and decision making. Um, so the female hormone cycle for those who are, are not aware, or maybe you are aware um, and don't know exactly how to make decisions based on this, is, is dominated by um, two major hormones, and that's estrogen and progesterone. And these two hormones interact with almost every aspect of our biochemistry, including our metabolism, our neurochemistry, and our bioenergetics. So when I say bioenergetics, what I mean there is that estrogen specifically plays a significant role in energy production. So regulating glucose transport, aerobic glycolysis, and mitochondrial function to generate ATP, which is our source of energy. This is how our body is fueled and estrogen plays a significant role in all of those processes. And then if we look at the brain, the brain function, the regions of the brain that are responsible for emotional regulation and memory, uh, namely the hippocampus and the hypothalamus, have really high densities of estrogen and progesterone receptors. So as a result, these hormones actually play a role in modulating our neurotransmitter function and our cognition. And a lot of women are not aware of that. And I have to say, I was not aware of that up until recently. And now I've become a super nerd on this just uh, digesting as much research as possible, but also finding a lot of gaps. So in understanding this, um, we can actually look at each phase of the cycle and understand, at, a, at least at a high level, what's changing within our body and what would be the best way to biohack or practice our, our health um, and fitness components of our lifestyle in each of these phases that is really supporting us and working for us instead of against us. And it's really about um, leaning into the benefits and not... Uh, leaning away from, uh, or, or sorry, not not fighting against what our body is naturally doing. And so I'll just give one quick example of this. Um, during menstruation, 
which is only one phase of the four phases of the hormone cycle. Our hormones are actually at their lowest level during this phase. This is, you know, the shedding phase when you're actually shedding the uterine lining. But because our hormones are at their lowest level, we actually have a lower ATP production and a slower metabolic rate, meaning that our energy is naturally lower during this phase. And it's a good thing that it's a pretty short phase. Um, but the problem that we see especially in this male-driven modern society, is not to go ahead and lie low and rest a little bit more during this phase. It's actually to push against it and drink more coffee, take nootropics, work out really hard, and do all these things that are really going to end up burning out our adrenals and causing further hormonal disruption. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's endless. It's, 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 you know, it's endless. It's a rabbit hole of information, right? It's like, we could, we could spend two hours just talking about every phase of the cycle and yes. what it's doing to the body. And it's like, the interesting thing for me is when I have intake calls with my clients and I'm like, so you're on day 12 and they're like, am I? <laughs> and I just think <laughs> the very first thing that a woman can do is like use one of these tracking apps to um, just stay in sync with their own cycles. Right. And I think that's like a great piece of tactical advice. And some of the apps, the, the newer apps, even you can like share with your partner, like what, what's going on in your cycle. So I just, um, do you have apps that you recommend? I know there's a couple I use, but I think you have one or two that are different than I use that you like. Yeah, um, I really like the Clue app the best. Um, there are quite a few out there. There's um, Clue and there's MyFlow and uh, I forget what the names of all of them are, but there are quite a few out there. There is actually one that uses a wearable that takes your temperature as well. So that one's kind of cool. I haven't tried that yet. Um, but I agree with you. I think, um, getting kind of, this is like your baseline data collection. Sorry about the, the nerdy, um, science frame here, but, <laughs> but I think, uh, getting a baseline of where you are to understand, um, what your status is and what to work on and how to balance and adjust is really important. And so even if you don't know what phase you're in right now, which I think is probably most women, um, yeah, just starting to use a tracking system of some kind can really help you to at least get an understanding of uh, how long each of your phases are. Um, and then when are you in these phases where it's really important to take some time to rest or when are you in phases that are uh, more beneficial for being outwardly expressive and really pushing those um, fitness goals. Yeah, for sure. And it's the, the, there's so much, you know, there's new and old research around all of this, but it's like yeah. the things that have been most fascinating to me are the times that I will talk. Cause you know, I talk a lot about like weightlifting and muscle building and all of that. Cause that's a big passion of mine. And it's, you know, I, I've told this story a couple of times before in various different locations, but it's like I had a, a right before COVID, I had a talk about um, food and fitness. Basically, food is fuel in um, a, a big studio here in Los Angeles. And it was probably a hundred or so people in the room of which there were, you know, four or five guys. Everyone else was probably female cycling age or thereabouts. And mm you know, having the conversation to say, it was a panel discussion, so there are a few of us up there, and I just said, you know, hey, if day, 
I got known as like the day one bleed girl because I said out loud, like day one bleed, day one of your period is day one bleed. Like, are we ready? That's how we're counting our cycle. And everyone was like, oh, okay. And then, which is just like the <laughs> weird that. stigma that exists around it. It's like, I'm just talking about our periods, ladies. And then, um, and then saying, you know, talking a bit about how we have more capacity to build muscle in our bodies in those first two weeks. It's really like, every woman's a little different of course but it's probably like day around day four right right as your period's ending till right before ovulation you have this big estrogen spike and how that is um you know anabolic or anti-catabolic and gets you the capacity to build more muscle like 34 35 percent more muscle on average from these studies and hundreds of studies like hundreds of you know evidence-based research and you know, if there was, if this was traditionally, if we went back and said this existed in the world, in the men's world, we'd have, you know, we would have like 400 programs that were like the 12 day muscle building power program or whatever. <laughs> yes. And it's like, and, 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 the, and I said to the women in the room, like, have you heard of this? And I, and, and took a show of hands and I'm telling you like 99 hands went up in the room that were like, what are you talking about? And so uh, that's, that's where the, and I'm in Los Angeles. Okay. It's like, I'm in a hotbed of fitness and health and well-being, And that's how little the word is, is spreading. I think it's, it's been better in the last couple of years, especially like with quarantine and COVID people are doing more health research or trying to understand where they're at, but just like from a muscle building standpoint, that's like what it, it's fascinating, like how we can utilize the types of foods we're eating, the, the type of workouts we're doing to be able to sort of like be more efficient, right? The N equals one experiment is also around how can we be more efficient if I do 40 hours of cardio a week, am I really serving myself, you know? And so that 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 kind of stuff is really fascinating to me to, to, to spread, you know, we want to spread the word. So if you're listening right now, <laughs> try to like get a, a understanding of what we talk about a little to be able to tell other women because this is the way that we all kind of get better, right? Yes. And I love having these conversations because you interface and really take the research into practice, which I don't do as much of being more on the research side of things. So hearing how this is applicable in your practice with the women that you coach is so fascinating to me. Uh, so tell us a little bit more around like, what are some of the things that you've seen with the women that you work with that are kind of the, how they are working against themselves and then how, what are some changes that they make that really align with their unique biorhythms that really end up giving them a lot more success in their goals? Yeah, that's great. Um, the, the big a thing I say all the time, which is like pretty prevalent, my clients are real aware of it by the time I'm done working with them for nine weeks. They're like, okay, okay, I know, is, is that like you're only really as fit as what you can recover from. And so that, I mean, that spans men and women. I think that's a truth across the board, right? If it takes you nine days to recover from something, probably you went too hard. Like this is like, again, we want to talk about minimum effective dose. Where am I getting gains or growth? Women don't like the word gains quite often because they think it relates, correlates to weight, but that's a, just a word in the fitness industry that's been used so long, but it's recovery, recovery, recovery is, is part of that this, the pyramid that I, I sort of have put together is like, that is, you know, sleep is probably the only thing that's more important than making sure that you're doing proper recovery. And that can be as simple as three to five minutes of, of down-regulation breathing, or just calming breaths at the end of a workout where you're like lying on the ground, feet up on a bench or wall or whatever. 
And so trying to get women to incorporate a bit more recovery tactics is sort of the first thing I do. I will say what I see a lot is um, a ton of cardio queens. And I think cardio is, look, I love cardio as much as the next, but women that are doing a lot of cardio because they equate it with maybe fat loss, you know, hundred percent. This is how I lose fat. This is how I get leaner or thinner or skinnier or whatever's going on. And again, like I see a lot of it in LA, although I have clients all over the world, I see it in LA because there is also here an extra layer of this Hollywood movie starlet. Everyone needs to look young and you know, it's LA, it's Los Angeles. You get a bit of that, but cardio across the board is sort of this thing. That's like a misnomer that's been laid on to maybe women, maybe men and women. I don't know, but there is a, um, extreme cardio thing that happens. So the, the biggest thing I have to do with almost everyone I work with is reel them back in from crushing their hormones, crushing their just hitting burnout because they've pushed so hard on this cardiovascular fitness. And a little bit in defense of it, I will also say that what most of the reasons are is either women don't know that it's not doing them a service or, you know, we're all really pretty stressed. And so getting some cardio in gives you some brain chemistry, gives you some other things. And a lot of women will say, you know, but it's the way that I de-stress. Mm. It's the way that I, uh, some of them will say to me, it's my meditation. And that, to that, I say, no, it's <laughs> not your meditation. <laughs> it's very different than meditation, especially from like a neurochemical standpoint. But I get what they're saying. They're saying yeah. it's a time that they can like let go of the worry. And so, you know, I, I see there is sometimes benefit in that. There is benefit if you're going out and doing like a hard, crazy bike ride with a couple of friends, you know, you're outdoors, you're having community. I get that. But I just think the fitness variance is what I talk about a lot. And that, that is the effort that I want them to make to pick up heavier things and make sure they're weaving in recovery practices. And, you know, the change that I see is monumental in the course of nine weeks, which is not a long time in the, in the, in the timeline of being healthier, fitter, gaining muscle, losing body fat, recomping yourself, whatever you're trying to do, nine weeks is not a long time. And I say women completely change. And, and in ways that, you know, of course, no one's losing 100 pounds in nine weeks, if that's their goal. But <laughs> in nine weeks, I can see the biggest changes I see come in every other aspect of their life when they're regulating their food, and they're regulating around their cycle, and they're regulating recovery you start to see like they're having wins at work. They're better with their family They're And they're telling me that, right. They're saying those things to me. And so all in, right. Their period is more is normalized. Like things like that start to happen. And so that's like the beauty of it. That's the, the, the beauty of when women start with me and I'm like, get ready to meet your new self. And then they, they're like, okay, Kristen, that's pretty <laughs> and hokey. And then at the end of the nine weeks, they're like, I'm a different person. Um, and then the last quick point I'll make is like breath work. I'm so hot for breath work right now. I think you have seen some of my posts around women and how progesterone even affects our breath during the course of the month and just so many pieces of the puzzle. So getting women to do breath work and to participate in it and to understand that it does correlate to good body composition, that it does correlate to you know, what kind of level of fitness you can do when, that it does correlate to your CO2 levels in the body. And, and that's like, again, like you say, like, sorry for all the science, but this is the deal. Like this <laughs> is the real deal, right? We have to recognize that there's a, we have a progesterone spike, stimulates our respiratory rate. Yep. And the back half of the cycle, it's gonna change. It's gonna like 
Patrick McEwen, who a lot of his work is what I'm studying. It's like, it creates more of a hyperventilation period in the cycle. We talk about PMS symptoms, and then you correlate that to your breathing when you're more Mm -hmm. pain sensitive and you have less CO2 and all of that. And it's like, hey, these are connected. You know, how do we teach ourselves to breathe better so that we can alleviate some of that as just part of the puzzle, right? Yes, I love that so much. And I think I have to admit that I have been one of those women who say running is my meditation. <laughs> um, I, that is how I would justify it um, before. I'm a do athlete. And so that's running and biking. And that's pretty much what I do for my fitness because it's what I love and it's what the sport that I compete in. Um, yeah. However, I realize that in making those decisions, um, I'm also making some decisions that are not necessarily great for my body. And so I think everything that you mentioned, it all comes back down to one thing, all of it, the breathing, the food, the exercise, the mentality, the masculine behavior, all that stuff. It all ties to one thing, which is stress. And interestingly, women actually experience stress four to five times more uh, profoundly than a man. So it affects our physiology more. And because we are not we are not living a lifestyle that supports our hormone system, which then trickles into and from the adrenal system and the rest of our endocrine system, is that's more stress on the body and it actually all lowers our stress threshold. So the way that we um, can begin to thrive is one, by eliminating some of these stressors that can really bring us out of balance, like working out too hard or not sleeping or working really long hours or sitting at your desk scaring, staring at a blue light screen for uh, 10 hours straight or something like that. Um, all of these things, perhaps we can lower the amount of those in our lives. We can take away some of the stressors. But even more profoundly than that, we can increase our stress threshold. And one of the best ways to do that is through the breath. So I love that you bring that up. And especially that our breath becomes shorter and, um, and uh, less deep in the second half of our phase when progesterone spikes. That's really important because that's the same breath pattern for stress. So if we're already stressed and that's already our breathing pattern, imagine how much more impactful that is when we get to that part of the phase or that uh, phase of our cycle. And it, it makes our breath even shorter and more shallow than it already is from being in a stressed state. So I can't, I can't, uh, stress enough how important that is. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's fantastic to me for like 18 months. I was chasing Patrick around being like, (laughs) you said this thing off the cuff. We have 25% less capacity to uptake, like to have CO2. So we uptake less oxygen. Like, wait a minute. And he was like, I can't talk about it. It's only TMJ studies right now. I have to get all the research. And it's a year and a half, almost two years later. And then he comes and now he's come out with this book, Mm. The Breathing Cure, which is like, just nails it, just like nails all the research, all the conversation and is like a kind of an easier read. I mean, I know you know the book is coming, but that it's just really beautiful to see it because he himself says, I know I'm a dude and I, but there's such a cry for 
supporting research to come to summarizations around what's going on with women in breath. And so it's like, you know, anyone would tell him and he's a little shy sometimes, (laughs) but like anyone would tell him like, this is really needed. And so he has sort of served our community real well by gathering all that research. He's got two chapters on women and breathing one chapter on you will, you will love this because we've talked about this before lightly, but he has one chapter that's like on breath and sex and orgasm. It's mm. amazing. So oh it's gosh. just like, it's cool to see, you know, someone write so frankly and have lots of evidence behind it about those topics, you know, with the, within the rest of the book, which is also very good and about everything else when it comes to breathing as a, as a cure. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I'm you're, you're, um, you are reminding me, I have this book on my list and I am going to prioritize it because I didn't realize that he brings in so much of the science around women and breath. And I'm fascinated by that. Um, yeah. though it's not something that I've done a literature review on myself. So I'm so happy that he's done it. Like you said, we need more people going out there and pulling whatever research is available and being able to um, tie that into what we can do because the so what is so important and that seems to be where people get lost. They don't understand like, okay, here's what the science says. So what does that mean for me? Like, tell me what I need to do. (laughs) Totally. What are the things, what are the, this is, this is a really amazing point. And this, so what piece is like, this is the, this is what happens I think with women, because you and I work with women as well, but with everybody is that there is this piece of holy shit. There's so much research. There's so much of a deep dive. Like even in Patrick's book, he links all the studies. I go into those studies, Kayla, to look at some of them. And it's like, it's, it's challenging. It'd be much easier for you. You're used to reading research, but it's like some of the studies, it's like, I got to dig and dig and dig and dig to find the points that he's pulled out. And are there, what are the other areas where you see like big aha moments when there's like the, so what, like, how do I apply this to my life? Like, what's the takeaway? Are there other, like, we talked about breath a lot, but Mm -hmm. like, what other areas do you see that happen where you think there's like some aha moments? Oh my gosh, even like looking at diet, um, if you look at the biohacking community, especially like every man out there who's leading will tell every everybody, including women, that they should all be on a strictly ketogenic diet and that they should be fasting, intermittent fasting every day. And this is a huge one because if we actually understand what we need for to balance our female hormones... We, we as women actually require a carbohydrate refeeding period. And, you know, I won't go into all of the research on this, but the so what, the point of this is that if when women are practicing a strictly ketogenic diet every day, day in, day out, and maybe also intermittent fasting or combination or one or the other, it is really going to eventually throw their hormones out of balance. And so understanding that there are times in your cycle that you should be having more carbs and that to listen to your body, you will actually notice you have cravings for more like carbohydrate rich foods um, during these phases of your cycle if you're starting to listen to your body. And so that's a huge one for me because as an athlete and as a biohacker, I've, I've tried all the different dietary practices and I've realized that being more of an intuitive eater, knowing the, the benefits of these different ways of eating and different types of food to eat is great. But then 
listening to my body and making decisions based on what my body is telling me it wants and needs has been the game changer. And I can say that it has brought me to the next level of physical performance as an athlete as well. Yeah, that's, I mean, I could not have said it better in many ways. Also, it's like the premise of why I put together a meal plan. I have this warrior woman nutrition meal plan. And Mm. that meal plan is like, it's 22 pages long. It's a super succinct, like front end of exactly what you just said, plus recipes and all those things. And it's like the big key I tried to make top line, but direct in it is like, this is how you figure out your macros. This is how you build metabolic flexibility, right? I use a little keto, a little paleo. I don't use those words specifically, but just by design with the macronutrients. And then I give women days that I call power days. You'll love that because it's like, it's a, basically <laughs> a refeed, right? It's like the opportunity for us to put carbohydrates in when and how we need them, either for workouts or for that time in the cycle where we have a better glucose uptake. And that's like so nerdy sounding, but it's like I condensed it into a couple pages to say, look, try this. And how beautiful that we can build metabolic flexibility that way and cycle with our cycle the way we eat specific food and nutrients. And the other thing I want to say is that I just had a wild and wonderful experiment with a carnivore diet, which proved to me as like a 40 year old Mm. woman, the one thing that I sort of knew going in was that I hoped I was going to make, I wanted to do 30 days. And like, let me preface it by saying I did carnivore not because I think it's the be all and end all. It's just, I'm a nutrition specialist. I do nutrition performance. I need to try the things to understand what they will do when it comes to like my N equals one, but also just women in general. And while I think there are applications with like treating autoimmune or big food allergies or some other applications for carnivore, it's a very prime thing that is a little on trend now that I can tell you I got to day 18 and my hormones went haywire. Now I'm not a 25 year old woman, but also um, I have a pretty consistent period cycle, whatever for someone my age. And it's, it, it was like drastically, it was like an emotional thing to go through being on the carnivore diet for 18 days. And I stopped at 18, just two days ago, I said, look, this is great. I want to go 30 days, but it's not, I can already tell it's not worth hitting day 30 Mm -hmm. and having really screwed up my system. I I can see I've already like my period came nine days early. All these things happened. Emotional response to eating cravings went up. Like there are a lot of different things that happened for me personally, but then it shows me how different it is. I see, I, I, I was doing it with a, with a carnivore buddy who's been on it for two months, who's also a 26 year old man. And the response he's getting is completely Great, different, I'm sure. right? Yeah. So it's like that, that seems like maybe obvious, but it's just like the proof continues to be in the pudding because it, it just, not only was it, um, I had a few days in the midst of it where I was like, this is amazing. Right. And probably those days are the days that are aligned with the time that my body's really down to have a ton of protein and a ton of animal pro- products. But really interesting just to go through it and be like, feel that because it's, it, felt that like the most shaky ground I've been on with an eating lifestyle choice Mm. that I've had in years. And so that's also important when I'm working with people to understand what it's like to make any big lifestyle eating shift. Right. So that was like coming off of your points about, you know, keto all the time or fasting too long. I'm a very concerned, I'm conservative on when women start fasting. I'm very like, yo, be conservative on this. And I always, I sort of I tell them initially, if they're just starting intermittent fasting, like 12 hours or less, like it's a sleep cycle. I don't need you to go crazy. Um, And that's all related back to what you talked about with like hormones and our biology. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, to your point about carnivore, um, uh, Dr. Paul Salandino, who's the uh, carnivore MD, I'm sure some folks are familiar who are listening to this. Um, he's big yeah. in the biohacking world. And of course, he's all about carnivore. And I had him on the podcast. And during that episode where he was basically saying everybody should be carnivore, I brought up the difference between men and women and our biological differences and our biochemical differences and the differences in our metabolism. And I have to give it to him. He paused and he said, you know what? There are differences. And so, you know, you really should consider that before you make a lifestyle decision about changing your diet so drastically. And, you know, in the end, I still think that he um, recommends carnivore for a lot of mostly everyone, but he did uh, acknowledge that it's important to um, consider what's going on in your body, in your microbiome, in your gut, and what's going on in your microbiome, in your brain, and what's going on with your hormones. And so it really is important. And um, and the way forward, because the science is not fully baked, right, and the recommendations are not there, we do have to experiment with ourselves. And so I love that you tried the carnivore diet and really gave your best effort and realized, oh, no, this is not for me. And so in supporting your clients who may want to try the same thing, you can share your experience and say, hey, look out for these things. If you start experiencing any of these, then you might want to stop. Yeah. But, and also it's like, if there's someone who came to me who had a lot of metabolic dysfunction and a whole, you know, if they made enough of a case, I could have the conversation. But I think part of it is really looking at a woman's labs. We haven't talked a lot about that and we, we probably don't need to, but it's like tests don't guess, right? Yes. Looking at a woman's labs, looking at where she's at and knowing I have different clients that come to me that we handle metabolic dysfunction in different ways. Someone coming with an autoimmune, someone coming with some other things, maybe that would be uh, a course of action we could com- converse about, but then I would understand, like I, I did, a, I just shared a, a little uh, like IGTV thing one day because I was like, over the course of 18 days, I had two cheats, if that's what you want to call them. I hate that word, treats, right? Or just outside <laughs> of the carnivore lifestyle choices, right? What's not on the docket. And one of those was a whole avocado. And I was like, I'm doing an IGTV right now because I'm having guilt and shame over eating an avocado. And like, I don't ever food shame myself. Like it's very rare that I do. So that's what I talk about. That's what I'm meaning when I say to you as well, that I had like emotional responses to Mm. things that are not in the normal wheelhouse for me. It's like, you had a fucking avocado, Kristen. It's like actually in the realm of things, probably your body was desperate for it, right? Because I didn't have to do a little- Yeah, my brain was, yeah, my brain was happy. And then my body was like, okay, you know, like potassium is one of the things that's sort of hard to get on that diet to get enough of. And so, yeah, so just like having the avocado was feeling like, why am I having shame over this? It's like one avocado in the course of like the slew of days in a row. Um, but yeah, like it gives, it gives it all these things that I think we do to experiment, give us a better opportunity to work with women and to advise in the way we do. But, but just, you know, I think the key piece of the eating thing for anyone who's listening is like, Hey, how do you want to transition your diet? And when you make big transitions or choices in lifestyle eating, if you're going to stay on them for a longer period of time than just experimenting for a week or two or something, what, where are you going? Like, where are you starting? Like know the audience of what your current eating lifestyle is. Like if you're having McDonald's every day and probably don't go keto from there. 
like probably yeah. step down, probably step down a little so that you're not ready to kill someone. And like keto flu. And then pa- even in the early days of paleo, oh, I would yeah. still 15 years ago when I first went paleo, I was like, oh, I'm getting like, it wasn't called keto flu then, but it was like, I was just getting like lack of carbohydrate flu like symptoms and feeling dizzy and having that big shift. And so go slowly. I think it's, we don't want to do that. Right. We're like a hard hitting society, many people, a type personalities, or like you and I have been cultivated and, and, and learned behaviors from sort of a more masculine side based on the industry we were in or in now and even biohacking. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do we, Boomer Anderson, who I love, and I think you love as yes. well, um, just made a post. He took a social media cleanse or fast for a month and then made a post just really talking about how what was in his feed was being fed the same realm of information that he's in. And all it does is reinforce one part of your life to have you feel like, oh, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. And it's, it's we miss this whole piece of understanding, you know, the opposite side of the spectrum, what like one of my, my friends who runs a gym here named Logan Galbrick. I just did a podcast with, he talks about disconfirming information. Mm -hmm. How do we get in the opposite side? And as women, part of it is how do we get in? What is our view? How do we understand like what Boomer was talking about? How do we like get some distance from the thing so we can make our own decisions? And I want that for women. And I think you want that for women as well. Yes. Yes, It's all about context, right? We don't have we don't have the full context to make a a data informed decision if we don't have the full range of experience and knowledge and so um you know my my whole brand biocurious and the reason why i'm a scientist is all based around curiosity and this is what drives um me being able to gain context so that i can make better decisions for myself and my community. So I absolutely love that. And I think Boomer is exactly right. And I think that is what gives you context to make better decisions. Yeah. And what, you know what, one other thing I would love to hear from you, I know we're coming up on an hour, but I would love to just get, I think it's important to talk about sometimes, uh, uh, like a couple women that are like in sort of the health and wellness space in some way that you really feel like rock your world that you love to learn from. I think it's always nice to sort of suggest other women in this industry that are like leading and sharing really robust information. So are there two women that you are, you're just vibing hard with that I should know about that listeners should know about? Oh my gosh. So, um, Dr. Molly Maloof, I've been really getting into her stuff recently, um, especially because she brings forward some context around the fasting conversation, specifically for women. So I'm really vibing with her stuff recently. Um, and then Dr. Nasha Winters, and maybe this is a little bit of a bias because she is um, one of my co-founders in the Power Program for Women, but she is such a freaking badass. She knows her her bank of knowledge is so deep and so wide, it just blows my mind. What she knows about metabolic health and then specifically tailoring it to women and all the nuances around every single hormone and how it interacts with metabolites and with different lifestyle choices and stress and endocrine disruptors. And it just, it blows my mind. So if you have not read her her book, The Metabolic Approach to Cancer, even if you don't know anybody with cancer, you are not um, dealing with cancer yourself, read that book because you will understand 
metabolic health on a whole new level that is just incredibly mind-blowing. Um, so I would definitely recommend uh, both of them. What about you? Um, I, I always like the person who I feel like has affected me in a very big way is Emily Fletcher. Uh, she's mentored me a lot with, uh, Ziva meditation. Z-I-V-A is her, um, organization. And she's done so much around making meditation approachable. I've had her on the podcast as well. It's one of my favorite episodes because I've known her for so many years. You know, you can kind of like, we bro down and like that, that expression, is there a female equivalent for that? I don't know. But we just we we just really have a sit down. One of the most powerful meditation teachers I've ever worked with. She's sort of the first and foremost female that brought it to the forefront for householders, if you want to use that term. Householders just that's a term we use in yoga a lot. That's really about people who aren't practicing yoga. You know, ninety nine percent of their day in the ashen grounds. Um, but just she's really brought it to the masses, and she is she's just incredible. She's like, makes it approachable. She's made me get such a rich understanding. And she's really the person who taught me enough that I could actually sit and hold onto a meditation practice, which even as a yoga teacher, I had a really, really hard time struggling to keep a daily practice before working with her. So Emily Fletcher, she has a stress less accomplish more is her book. It's amazing online program, endless amount of things. She launches tomorrow, a kid's uh, kids meditation program, which I think is just like what the world needs, right? What we need for yes. the future. Um, and so I really, yeah, I dig her. Like, I, I think from a fitness perspective, I've followed Stacy Sims for a long time. She's been, she's been kind of like gritting out the fitness and Hey, we are, you know, women are not small men thing for a long time in the, in the world of, you know, in the, in the arc of basically people talking about it. So I really have a high level of respect for her as someone who tried to do some more groundbreaking on that. Um, and then when it comes to breathing, there aren't as many women in the world, but Belissa Vranek has a book called Breathing for Warriors. So, you know, I love that book. Yes. Um, but yeah, those are sort of like the the women on my docket right now that are just, um, yeah, like I'm really, I'm loving their work. I'm loving learning from them. And, and it's just like there there continues to be more and more that comes my way from, from these women in the world. Mm. I love all of those women that you mentioned. And um, with Emily's work, that's a great reminder because I signed up for her newsletters a while back and I keep getting yeah. these reminders. Um, and I definitely want to take her meditation course because I do love the way that she breaks it down and makes it so relatable and digestible to anyone. Yeah. Like she has a background in theater, which somehow helps. Yes. Like it doesn't <laughs> come across as overdramatic, but she just really knows how to speak to an audience she clearly does. and concisely. So I love that. Where is the best place for the BioCurious listeners to find you, find your work and connect with you? Uh, the best two places are my Instagram handle at Warrior Woman Mode uh, and my website, uh, which is just warriorwomanmode.com. There's links through everything on both of those to kind of get people to be able to connect with me. There are two free audio tracks that you can download on my website. And that is designed to try to help everybody with everything that we've been going through from a stress and de-stressing level. So 
pretty easy to find me on those two channels. How about you? Folks can find me. The best place is like you on Instagram uh, at biocurious underscore Kayla. And you can check out my website, biocuriouskayla.com. I also have a little um, biohacking online community for men and women called uh, biocurious.co with lots of resources that you can download, guides and biohacking um, uh, information and research. Um, and then for women specifically with Dr. Nasha Winters and uh, Dasha Maximov, I have launched a program that is called the Power Program for Women. So if you're interested in checking that out, you can go to powerprogram.org. And I know that's going to be a great deep dive for women who really want to get after an understanding of their own physiology. And I think be able to clean up anything they have that they want shifted and just really leveling them up. So I'm excited to see that launch. Yes. Thank you so much. We are so, so excited about it. And it's, um, you know, the first bio individual deep dive course that includes not only education and coaching, but it also includes a deep dive into looking at your biochemistry with laboratory testing, very comprehensive laboratory testing for women. Um, and we test and retest three times throughout the program. So it really is going to be a game changer and we are so excited for it. And I know that we didn't get into lab testing this time, but maybe we can next time. <laughs> for sure. Kristen, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us. Yeah, same, same. Absolutely. I love when you bring your brain to the table and I'm going to get to see you in like yes. three and a half, just under a month at the Biohacking Congress in Northern California. And we're going to have an amazing time there. Maybe we'll get some more recording done. Yes, that would be amazing. See Thanks. You soon. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. I hope you liked this week's episode of the BioCurious podcast. If you enjoy listening and learn something, please leave us a review and share it with someone that could benefit. If you don't already, follow our Instagram at BioCurious Podcast for teasers of new episodes, advice from old guests, biohacking quizzes, and if you tag this account with a screenshot of the episode, we will feature you on our story. Thank you for all the support and have a good day.